it, everybody. Scott Bowden and Brian Last right along ringside, and we are ready for a big one on the KFR podcast. And no, I'm not referring to the Big One Expo Center, that depressing abandoned strip mall that passed for an arena during the Rock's run as Flex Cavana in 1996. That is before I ran his sorry candy ass out of town. No, I'm talking about big men wrestlers who had a huge impact in Memphis. You know, a lot of critics say the Memphis territory was largely just a bunch of small performers who wouldn't headline any other major territory of the era. Yes, casual observers say Jackie Fargo, Bill Dundee, Toto Yamamoto, Jerry Lawler, The Fabs, Coco, and Randy Savage were the only consistent money draws in Memphis in the late 70s and early 80s. But those naysayers, frankly, can't see the forest for the trees. The territory also had huge success, quite literally, with Monster Heels and even the occasional giant babyface over the years. That's right, Scott. And who better than to clear that forest of misinformation than the subject of our show today, Canadian lumberjack Joe LaDuc. We're going to slice through all the major angles the Big Lug is most remembered for and offer insight into what a gentle giant this unforgettable wrestler was outside the ring and the Lumberjack camps. Trust me, folks, this is one show you're going to go crazy for. We'll be right back with our tribute to that Lumberjack lunatic right after we cut to this break. Johnny going against Dundee and Nelson Royal, the uh, World Junior Heavyweight Champion, LaDuke against Lawler, and that's the action Monday. Well, hey, oh, hey, come on now, Joe, we've had enough trouble in the studio here, and uh, Joe LaDuke, who will be challenging. I'm tired of having anybody and everybody say that I'm sick and I'm crazy. Shut up, I gotta talk to you. Jerry Lawler, you said on this television right here that I was afraid to come here because you were here. Well, I'm going to show you, punk. I'm here, and now is better than ever. Come and get me. Come and get me. And now, Jerry Jarrett, yeah, you're my boss. You want to fire me? That's fine. But nobody is going to stop me from going to that Coliseum Monday night. You can fire me anytime you want after Monday night. Jerry Lawler, you just saw that film. You just paid how much money you paid those people to show that film. Well, you double-crossed me. I had you beat right down the middle. Yeah, I got a busted head. <laughs> I got a busted head, Jerry Lawler. So what? I had a busted head when I was born. So who cares? But I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, Jerry Lawler. You tell everybody how crazy I am. I'm going to show you I'm not that crazy. I'm going to take a note. You know what that is? Well, I'm going to tell you what it is. In the lumber camp in Canada, when you do something very important, when you want to do something very important, you take a note. And you make a scar on your body somewhere to remind you in case you don't do it, 
And to remind you not to look at yourself in the mirror. Never! Well, I'm going to do it now, boy. I'm going to show you, punk. This is an axe. And this is an arm. I'm going to show you, punk. I'm going to cut my arm. And if I don't do what I tell you Monday night, I'll never be able to look at myself in the mirror as long as I live. But I'm going to do it. Now, Gerald, all of you hear this. Gerald, all of you hear this. Right now, Gerald, all of you, I'm going to mess up your face. And that's the last match I lost with you, Gerald. Lord. Look at that. All right. You see it right here. Look at it, boy. Now, do me a favor. Do me a favor, Jerry Lawler. Do not show up Monday night at that Coliseum because this car right here, it's going to get you hurt. It's going to get you hurt. It's going to get you hurt. And after the match, Jarrett, you can fire me. Okay, uh, man, man, the guy he just loses touch with reality. That's all there is to it. Uh, he did it. And, uh, well, anyhow, Monday night, that uh, will be Lawler's problem. Mm. Tickets available all day uh, till 5 o'clock today, all day on Monday. We got more wrestling action coming up, and we're going to see the king uh, coming in here. At the top of the show, I said we had a big day ahead of us on the KFR podcast, and I meant that quite literally. Some of my little KFR colonels out there have asked me, who's my favorite big man to ever compete in the Memphis Territory? Well, you don't have to ax me twice, Brother Jack Daddy, because without a doubt, there's only one big man who stands out as the bull of the woods, who cut through local pipsqueaks, milk toast, weenies and wimps like a hot axe through butter. That's right, folks. I am absolutely crazy about Canadian lumberjack Joe LaDuke, who traveled from the daunting, ominous Northwoods, as Lance Russell would say, to pillage and plunder the territory for the first time on February 28, 1978, chopping down prelim wrestler Roger Howe like he was a fig tree, a paper birch, or perhaps a dogwood at the Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis. And who better to soak... <laughs> <laughs> and who better to psychoanalyze this psychotic wow. big lumberjack slug with me but a man who has reassured several women over the years. Trust me, I'm a doctor. The one, the only, Howard Bell. Howard, welcome back hey, to hey, KFR. Hey. How are you, my friend? I am good. I am good. How are you? Because this is like I'm we're in the we're smack dab in the middle of the uh Howard Baum birthday festival there in the Sunshine hey. City. <laughs> It's a lot of festivities going on, I'll tell you that. And I want to say it's an honor to serve as the Dave Brown once again, of course, to your Randy Hales. Oh! Oh, that was my... <laughs> I'm sorry. I meant, I meant, I'm just Josh, and you know that. You know you know oh. who the man is. Dude, Corey that's, Macklin. That's like a... That's the proverbial chain to the face. That's, uh, a, that's like breaking a cinder block over my head. That's like, you know, oh, I could man. barely contain myself over some of those uh, adverbs describing Leduc's uh, victims. That was pretty well, hilarious uh, verbiage. Well, thank you, sir. I almost uh, didn't make it through the uh, talk up. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I do want to get your Pip thoughts. Squeaks and what was what was that again? I think uh, that's just become a soundbite on its own. 
Well, maybe that's what sparked the Randy Hills comment because there's pip, <laughs> pip squeaks, miscreants, milk, milk toast, uh, weenies, and whips. Uh, so. <laughs> I like that. You have a way with words, my friend. Oh, uh, well, you know, hey, it's gotten me, it's gotten me this far, which yeah, you should I, do something I, with it. Yeah, I don't know what my point there is. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, now let's let's talk about because uh, you, know, you got to see Joe way before I did. Uh, in 1974, he had a hell of a run in Florida, and I guess that was his big breakout year because he had entered uh, the state with his so-called brother, Paul LaDuke, uh, and they were the Florida Tag Team Champions. But LaDuke, I guess, it, it, you know, that was uh, sort of his – when he broke away, he was kind of a breakout star in that, you know, with his promos and his look and his delivery, he, he really stood kind of uh, – shaved head and broad shoulders uh, above anyone else in the territory, especially Paul LaDuke. Uh, and suddenly he's like headlining against Dusty, who of course is, is red hot uh, in that year. Uh, what uh, what were your first memories uh, of Joe LaDuke? And were you impressed with him as I was? Because to me, he not only was this big uh, lumbering <clears throat> dude, but man, he was really, he reminded me of Dusty in a way because he was such a natural athlete and could really move on his feet. He could throw drop kicks. He could sell backdrops like nobody's business, get really high in the yeah, air yeah. and do all these wonderful things. In addition to having this tremendous look and uh, an interview style, unlike anybody else in the business. Uh, do you agree with that assessment? Very true. That's the show folks. Good night. <laughs> Well, what do you, no, what totally, do you, totally, yeah. because my first memory of Joe Duke, he, he said he was down here in 74. I didn't start watching Florida till 75, but mm -hmm. he was still here, and he was still here in 76. And during that time, he was used, um, I want to say in the 75-76 in the runs, he was a babyface by then, and he was fearsome and scary. And in 79, he joined one of the my vote for the greatest faction of all time, um, Sonny King's Army in 1979, booked by Buddy Rogers, Magnificent Morocco, Pak Song Nam. It was like the Gary Hart Army of 1979. It was the greatest faction of heels that I've seen in my time. Oh, um, wait, wait a minute, including the First Family? And, and Joe LaDuke and Killer Khan, <laughs> and they would work, well, hang on a minute, and they would work Graham Kern, Dusty, and that is... I think 79 was the last great period of Florida wrestling due to that crew. Okay. But to answer your LeDuc, I mean, one of my favorites was he turned back heel in 1979. He had this feud with Jim Garvin. And on TV, there's a famous angle where he's like crushing Garvin's ribs. He keeps him in a bear hug for a long time or something. And they sell it big time. He's injured and everything. So the next Wednesday at the convention hall, which would be, um, I guess, a week later around the horn working the match, and um, so the entire match was Jim Garvin went over to LeDuc within the first 10 seconds. Maybe he kicked him in the stomach or something once or twice. LeDuc picks him up halfway inside the ring, halfway outside the ring in an upside down bear hug and wouldn't release it. And the place went nuts. And that was it. That was the whole match. He just yeah. got him in an upside down bear hug, half in, half out. And the place was like, oh, my God, he's going to kill him. Like people didn't know what was going on. And um, I have some photos of that. I'll post it. That was like in 1979. Okay. And it was it was more effective than a whole match, you know? Yeah. Because it got him over as, as such a beast that he was. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, and actually that that reminds me of one of my earliest memories of Joe LaDuke. Uh, I don't think he'd been in the territory long. And, you know, he came in right when Memphis was doing really hot business with Lawler and Valiant on top. And this was Valiant's first real uh, headlining program, has a single star in the area. Uh, and he was a heel. And now, you know, and by the end of the program with Lawler, he was really starting to get out. The fans were really loving his interviews and stuff, uh, which, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, which led to the obvious uh, babyface turn. Um, but at one point, you know, they had the infamous hair match between Lawler and Valiant where nobody got their hair cut and the fans rioted at the Mid-South Coliseum. And I guess to kind of close the uh, close the close the chapter on that, they had a TV bout where Valiant had his hair up uh, against Lawler's uh, Southern title, and Lawler came out there and he, he you know he did the old thing where he lift, he had the the photo with Valiant with his hair and then lifted it up and had his hair you know without his haircut, and then he passed out T-shirts to fans at ringside with an illustration that he had drawn with Valiant ball headed, uh, and so this you know they built this up the entire the entire show. You know, Lawler has Valiant pinned, but in a shocking turn of events, you're not going to believe this, Howard. Jerry Calhoun is rendered unconscious by an errant blow. <laughs> uh, See, so you laugh, but, you know, he's out there just trying to do his job. Uh, he's knocked out, and this is LaDuke's cue to come in, and it sounds like he did to Garvin what he did to Lawler. He grabs him and just gets, gets in by a bear hug and basically chokes the life out of the king uh, to where he's, you know, just absolutely... He's, unconscious he dumps Lawler down like a sack of garbage Valiant gets the pin and it's one of the few pins that actually Valiant got on Lawler during that entire program but he saves the hair he gets the belt and all this heat is put on the Duke um, yeah 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 I, think I remember that because and that was just you're exactly right it's the same kind of simple angle short and brutal that got him over as the beast that he was yeah. Like a yeah. guy like that is how people no, like a guy like that is how people <clears throat> excuse me. Guy like that is how people today would look at a Brock Lesnar. Like a you go, all right, so he wasn't as big as Brock Lesnar, but for the time that guy was scary. Oh man. Like Ox Baker. I mean all these guys in Florida when I broke in as a fan and that nine year old, ten year old kid, nineteen seventy six in Florida, just to give you an example, we had Ox Baker, Pac Song, Joe LaDuke, Abdullah, and my favorite of all time, King Curtis himself. And let me tell you something. I remember being scared of just a full-page photo of Ox Baker's face in the program. <laughs> I, we're, I, I was in the arena, and I'm like, wow, that guy's scary. What would I ever do if I was, like, close to him? Yeah. You know, that's how yeah. – because these guys, you don't see anybody with faces like that anymore. I, I, I Norman did, Smiley it, was over – yeah, Lawrence I, Smiley was over my house, and he saw my um, uh, wall of fame, and I have like a picture of uh, like a um, headshot of Cyclone Negro up there that he gave me. And um, Norman goes, you know, they just don't make. That's a horrible Norman Smiley. He goes, whatever, do your own Norman Smiley voice. He goes, you know, they just don't make faces like that anymore in wrestling. Uh, and that's no. the deal. And Joe LaDuke was one, and Mongolian Stomper. Yes. He was here when I broke in too. All those guys that I just mentioned. Those guys are in my DNA of what a heel should be. And anybody that follows has to be in that mold because those are the guys that I'm comparing them to for the rest of my wrestling career. And when people talk about, oh, somebody's a good worker or this is a fun match, I hate that. It is a fun match. Was it? <laughs> Were you entertained? Did you like it? 
<laughs> no, they didn't talk about Mongolian stomper almost killing Don Morocco and say it's a fun match. Yeah, it really right. sold well for him. No, people were scared, and it was real and amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the I, and I've told this story several times on the show before, but I, I was not a huge fan initially because my dad would make me turn off cartoons and and switch it over to wrestling. And this, of course, upset me. You know, I wanted Foghorn Le- Leghorn, but I would get Lance Russell, which, you know, the difference probably was negligible. But uh, but anyway. <laughs> I was going to say, far <laughs> less true things have happened. I actually said that one time. And it wasn't even – we weren't even – we weren't even on the air. This is when I was hosting uh, Memphis Roundtable at one of the Charlotte Fan Fest, and I had Lance there with Dave and, and Jarrett. And I said that line, and Lance looked at me, and he gave me like the old, like, hey, stop that <laughs> smart stuff in there. You, you haven't, uh, that's great. You, you haven't changed a bit. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. I was there for that. Uh, we didn't I, know each other, but I was right there for that. Oh, man. See, if I had noticed, yeah. I, would, see, I would have marked out big time. If, if I'd seen yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was a missed opportunity. We didn't know each other yet. But um, totally. well, yeah, I'm glad I got to see Lance because that was um, one of the last times I saw him in the flesh. And we got to hang out. And then I did my good deed that I can always remember because um, who comes down but Dave Brown into the little lobby there at the Charlotte Hotel. So Dave Brown, gentleman that he is, and I'm sitting next to Lance talking to him, but we already said enough to each other. It was enough. And I met his wife also, who was great. Really glad I met her, um, Audrey. And yeah. Um, yeah. anyhow, so of course I'm going to give up my seat to Dave Brown. And I'm like half crouching. I'm like, you want to sit down? Because I didn't know if he was going to stay or go. But if he was going to stay, I was definitely going to get up. So I go, you want my seat? He's like, no, no. I'm like, come on. Like, I'm going I'm to stand in the way of Dave Brown sitting down next to Lance Russell. So, of course, I vacated for the man. Yes. But, well, yeah, 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 of course, of course. And here and here you are in his proverbial seat today. So it's interesting. How about that. that? Yes. How about that? <laughs> how does um It's all come full it How does it feel to be in Randy Hale's polyester hey, uh, clothes? It's all come full <laughs> squared circle, my friend. Uh, can I no. tell you the funny Can I tell you my funniest Randy Randy Hale story? It's probably my favorite it's probably my funniest Memphis story, and it's my only it's my only Randy Hale story, and it's my okay. funniest Memphis you, story. Okay. okay? If, you, if you promise this is your only Randy Hale story, you can tell it. I only have one. All I right. only have one. All this right. is let's, gonna be let's, it. Let's, let's by get, the way, how how by the way, how what a testament is it that Lance was truly a living saint? Um in how nice he was to everyone, including Randy Hales who clearly fancied himself a Lance Jr. and was clearly not a Lance Jr. And Lance just was as nice as could be to that man. Oh, yeah. I, I, that's absolutely. not the story. I, I, no, I, I, I've, I've often wondered why Randy got that gig. I mean, I, I did they feel sorry for him? Did they, <laughs> maybe, was... it's a, um, maybe it's a Paul Bosch, um, Gino Hernandez... Love child situation. Well, you know, and and my and when we had the big angle, which you know pissed Dave Brown. Maybe off. there's a really slow rat running around there somewhere. <laughs> well, somewhere no. hey, in this... Lexington. Well, and no. uh, no, you know it... Frank Morell or somebody or is the is the dad. Well, no, 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 you've got it She would all. shut up that the kid would get a place in the promotion. Oh, this is you... terrible. I'm sorry about that, Randy. No, you've got. A... And I didn't even tell this fucking story yet, which really buries him. But you, okay. You... 
you've got it all wrong because as I mentioned <laughs> during the same promo where I said that he was retarded, I, I explained it. Right. Well, I go, well, you know, if you, you know, you're asking yourselves, well, if he's retarded, how does he have a job? And I said, well, you know, I said, Eddie Marlin was going through Jonesboro and he hooked up with a little wrestling groupie. Oh, <laughs> I said, no. Eddie Hills is the illegitimate retarded son of Eddie Marlin. Oh, my God. And that is what prompted Brandy to come out and tackle me over the desk. And just chaos ensues. And the crowd's chanting Buck Wild. And a visibly disgusted Dave Brown cuts to a break. <laughs> oh, that oh. is rich. Yes, yes. Does somebody say something about rich? Um, <laughs> That's truly rich. I mean, because I saw your your thing, but it was so long ago that I didn't remember it was Eddie Marlin and all that. That's too funny. But let me tell you, it's a really brief... Me and Pete, Pete Letterberg and I are backstage at the Mid-South talking to Lawler, and um, it's going to be our fan fest the next day for the WFIA convention at the hotel. Lawler's going, Lance is going. I don't know what year it was, but some big names were going, Eddie Gilbert, Jimmy Hart, depending on the year. And then we're trying to round out, like, get some more guys to go. So people, we're walking around backstage. So Lawler is going up to, like, uh, Ron Sexton, and he's like, hey, Ron, you going to their thing tomorrow? He's like... Yeah, yeah, and we all shook hands. Ron Sexton was a cool guy. I don't know if you ever met him. Really nice guy. Came to our convention. Sexy, but, sexy, so then Randy Hale. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Ron Sexton comes by. He has no problem coming to our convention. Randy Hales comes by. This is after the show at the Mid South. Randy Hales comes by, and King is like, "Hey, come over here." And uh, he's like, "Yeah," and he like comes over to us, and he goes, "You're going to their convention tomorrow, right?" And he goes, "Oh, King, tomorrow's my only day off." And King goes, why don't I fire your ass and you can have every day off? And like, wow. Pete and I looked at each other, looked at each other, and I couldn't believe it. I didn't laugh or anything because I'm in the presence of Jerry Lawler. Like, what the hell's going on here? I'm like an 18-year-old kid, and he's dissing his employee right in front of me, who he has to deal with like every day. I'm like, this is crazy. But it was hilarious because afterward, when Pete and I were talking about the day's events, Oh, we just died laughing because that was hilarious. Because it was like a, it was like Lawler doing one of his classic Letterman oh, yeah. bits. You know, he's he's like uh, and, and the thing is Lawler does that all day long to everybody. Yes. But when it's a really good one, it like it's classic. Yeah. Like why? Yeah. Why don't I fire your ass and you can have every day off? Well, actually, that did happen to me, and he did fire my ass. Uh, because, no way! Yes, yes, because I was, <laughs> I was, I was going to uh, summer school because I was trying to well, not when I was in high school, but because I was a great, I was a great student at Germantown. Uh, but <laughs> I was trying in 1994. That was the year that I switched from mild mannered referee to the uh, flamboyant heel from Germantown. And I, I was trying to catch up on some classes that I'd been putting off. And I actually had a big exam that, that summer. Uh, and on a Monday night, uh, they were trying to get me to go to Louisville the next day. And I explained to Laura, I was like, I can't, I said, Laura, I, Jerry, I can't, I can't miss this, man. You know, I'm trying to graduate. Uh, if it were any other day, I would say yes. I mean, I've always wanted to go to Louisville. And he's like, he's like, God. He's like, can you believe this fucking kid? We're trying to make him a fucking superstar. <laughs> trying to make him a fucking superstar. And he's worried about an exam. <laughs> and I just, you know, I, and, and then Randy Hales told me later, he's like, uh, yeah, we're going to have to finish you up if you can't make all the towns. And that oh, clearly, wow. came, yeah, that clearly came from Lawler. But to Randy's credit, I do have to say, he called me back about six weeks later and he said, hey, how would you like to come back if 
you know, you make every town except Louisville and Evansville. And I said, yeah, that, man, that would be great. He said, well, he goes, I, I talked to Jerry and I, I, I think you can draw money. And I did. And I think I, I think I, did, I think the house went up like a hundred bucks after I came back. So, <laughs> Congrats. Yeah. And a lot of that was guys in my fraternity, but <laughs> never, <laughs> never, nevertheless, it, it did go up. So, but yeah, Lawler, Lawler pulled that on me and several people over the years. You know, you got to give, you got, man, you know, if, is your heart in this or not? <laughs> right. Right. Uh, you know, and during, during that, during that gathering in uh, Charlotte, uh, actually, it is funny. You said that that was one of the last times you saw Lance. Uh, and well, that's not funny, but it's it's bittersweet, I suppose, because right. I I had such a great time doing that. And I got to and I it was like the first time I ever got to meet Lance's wife uh, as well. And uh, they, I guess they were really close with the Coddles at that point. Uh, Bob mm-hmm. Caldwell and his, who were also there. And it was just cool to see them interact and, and see just mm-hmm. Lance being being a husband, you know, which I had never really got to see. Right. Before. Yeah. yeah. And, and he, you know, which is cool because he was sort I sort of looked at him as a father figure in the, as, as, I guess in the business anyway, because he was always the one who was probably the most encouraging and supportive and trying to help me. And yeah. I just really, really appreciated that. He was exactly what I hoped he would be. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And every, yeah. every, everyone yeah. else, everyone else disappointed me. Lawler, Dundee, Al, you know, all these guys who, and I, and, I, and, it, and it does, I'm, I'm very happy that Dundee and I have, have, buried the hatchet buried the axe so to speak since this is a leduc themed show um and we had a great podcast and we've kind of stayed in touch since then because there was really you know he he actually told jerry jarrett before before we had the podcast he's oh that fucking scott bounty he's such a brat he's always been a brat and jarrett goes <laughs> bill that was his character he goes do you think the sheik was really an oil baron who was crazy uh... and, I just, uh, you know, that was just him. And so that kind of opened the door for us to, to, to have a podcast together and it went really well. And I think I impressed him with my knowledge of his career because, you know, I was a huge fan, but I, I mentioned that to Bill the first time I met him. It's like, Oh, Bill, you know, I've been watching you since I was this tall. And I kind of put my, and maybe that was it. Maybe he took that as an insult. Cause I, I, at hindsight, <laughs> I think I put my hand down to his le- eye level. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> And he, and he goes, hey, you know how many fucking times I've heard that in my life? Jesus. And he walked off. Oh, my God. Wow. I know. I know. That was just absolutely crushing. But during that uh, Charlotte event, I brought up Leduc. And it was really interesting to get uh, the viewpoints, the candid viewpoints of the people on the panel uh, who were very special in my life. And, and Lance, of course, remembered the famous, I believe it was August 5th, 1978 where Leduc went out and his, you know, Lawler had come out and busted Leduc's head wide open. They were feuding over the Southern title. And this is still in, in 78. So Leduc came in in March uh, or February of 78 and is still on, working on top with Lawler by August. I mean, that, that yeah. is one hell of a run and it speaks to his longevity. It speaks to what a great worker he was, how versatile he was. And they had put all the heat really on Sonny. And this was, I guess, the first incarnation of Sonny King and his army. Because uh, it was uh, it was Leduc at one point, Valiant and Sonny King. And then Valiant turned babyface. And it was just uh, Leduc uh, and King until they brought in Jean-Louis. Uh, the big, yeah. uh, I believe the hangman up in WWF at the time. 
uh, work some, maybe worked a few shots with Backlund even on top. Um, right, right. And had, and had a famous hair match with Lawler, which is actually the first hair match I can remember Lawler ever being in uh, when I was a kid, but with the exception of Bill Dundee. Um, but at any rate, you know, LeDuc comes out and he's going to make what, you know, he means to say oath <laughs> that in right. the, lumber, at the lumberjack camps, you know, whenever somebody does you wrong, you make an oath, but it came out like oat. <laughs> you, you make an oat, right? And well, his you, accent was half the charm with him because, you know, it didn't even matter. It wasn't funny. You didn't laugh at it. It was just made him more scary in a way. Yeah, like, maybe. This guy, like it's like this guy can't even speak. He's from some log camp somewhere, you know. Well, that all, that only made it more real because if he's really right, pissed right. off, if he just had his head busted open, he's probably not going <laughs> right. to. It's probably not going to be a polished script that a right. writer has produced for you, right? So it, you know, he's struggling to find the words, but it, but it's, but it's real and it works. And he's got the ex- and and the station had actually been getting complaints about the violence because they had really, it was almost like the famous gang wars in 81. They really notched the violence up and they were having all these bloody angles on television and Jarrett and Lance were really trying to make a conscious effort to tone everything down. And this had been going on for about two weeks where they just had kind of some straight wrestling matches and all the, all the real violent stuff, I guess was taking place at the Coliseum. And here comes mm-hmm. LaDuke. <laughs> He's going to do probably the most vicious thing that's ever been done on a live wrestling. Right. <laughs> and you can actually see Lance, you know, putting his head down. He just can't believe it. There's no way. Right, right. Lance, like, uh, I think that was a big shoot from Lance. He was, I think I even um, saw something where he talked about it after or something, and he was, like, legit mortified. Oh, yeah. And he's, he's like, don't ever do that again. What, you know? Well, okay, and this and this is this is uh, in Lance's words. This is uh, some notes I made from the uh, roundtable we had. He says, "At the time, we were trying to make the show a little less violent and a little more family oriented, <laughs> and not feature a lot of blood." <laughs> uh, uh, well, the Duke comes out one Saturday morning with a double-edged axe. Well, he takes that axe and cuts across his arm, and here comes the red stuff pouring down his arm. He cut his arm open right there on live TV. <laughs> Fans wondered for years, was it real? Hey, let me tell you, it was real all right. <laughs> I nearly had a heart attack. And I think Jerry Jarrett did have one later when he saw it. I tried to tell him after, Joe, you can't do that on television. Oh, to- uh, Well, that must, have, that must be what I saw or heard there. Nice to see my memory work somewhat. Uh, yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, that's he did talk about it, and you were there. That's uh, that's remarkable. Uh, and in th- during that same interview, it, I switch over to Dave and I ask him his thoughts on Joe, and he and it was a completely different uh, sentiment. He said Joe was such a nice man, and for years after he stopped wrestling in Memphis, I'd get a little note from wherever he was traveling to wish me a Merry Christmas. I always thought that was special for a man who was traveling like that to remember the folks he worked with. And when I mentioned that to Jerry Jarrett not too long ago, he also mentioned that occasionally he would get poetry (laughs) from Joe because he knew that Jarrett shared his love of poetry. And not (laughs) not only that, but he goes, he goes, and I have to say. His penmanship was remarkable. (laughs) Wow. I mean, it's it, uh, it's just amazing that that w- clearly was a you know a, a guy who just lived his gimmick 
when he was on, when that red light came on, but was able yeah. to turn it off. And you're right. I mean, you mentioned all those incredible faces in Florida. And I don't mean baby faces. I'm talking like mugs, right? Right. Of these heels. I mean, what a, it's like a Batman's the heel rogues gallery. gallery. It's, yes. Exactly. It's, like, it's a Spider-Man's rogue gallery. It's a, it's. Yep. It's, totally. it's like it's like the beginning of the Batman show when all these guys are, you know, yeah. that, nah, 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 and they're going after Batman and then they all go flying. Um, and see, that's the thing, because I didn't get into comic books. I mean, wrestling was my comic books. That was yeah. like my freak show. Yeah. And, it, and you say freak show, but it's like all these different guys of different heights, shape, shape. Yeah. I mean, it's just incredible. And, and can you imagine, mm -hmm. like, like in just Memphis alone, you had this little Australian who was a scrappy bulldog who the fans mm -hmm. believed in. And so they mm -hmm. could, you know, even though the territory was largely built, built around smaller guys, when they did bring in a monster heel, I mean, my gosh, the bouts between Dundee and Leduc, the bouts between Lawler and Leduc with the, with the incredible size difference. Mm -hmm. uh, and really, Leduc, I think, was only like about six one, so he wasn't even really that much taller than Lawler, but he seemed larger than. Well, he, yeah, exactly, and he was broad. Yeah, yeah, and just such a, I mean, just a, such a character. No wrestler ever thought, okay, that's what I need to look like. Wrestlers at the time, and and you know this, Howard, uh, they would look at what other wrestlers were doing, and they'd do the opposite. Whereas, you know, it seems like today everybody kind of wants to do what everybody else is doing. Yeah, exactly. That's it's what I cannot – listen, if we had a shot, if we were 22 years old and we were on Impact or whatever, whatever is the boutique promotion of the day and we wanted to get over, what are you going to do? You want me to come out like ZSJ and start working uh, joint locks? Dude, Ric Flair said stand out. You've got to separate yourself. And all those guys – just were themselves. That's why Steve Austin got over. That's like the best modern day example. But in the old days, a Dusty was Dusty, and all those guys. And you know, so I guess, you know, God only knows what they would call us if we were a tag team. But <laughs> you got to work. You got to work your. Um, got to work what you. I mean, they were all just individual. They were men back then. I don't look at the Miz and say there's a man. Ten year old me wouldn't go. I want to be the Miz when I grow up. Or um, well, the I, Elias I, with a guitar. Like, what is even the point of that? I used to think the same thing about Miz, and then I saw uh, Maurice in real, in real life out here in LA. <laughs> uh, notwithstanding, I don't think that counts in the biz, though. I don't think that quite does it. They don't have men anymore, anywhere, and definitely not in wrestling. Seth Rollins, superstar what, what Graham always did. <laughs> Superstar Graham always disses Seth Rollins and um, Brian. Um, this is how much I watch it. Brian Danielson, Al Hecklowitz, uh, um, Sven Goyden. What's his name? <laughs> you know, the Bella's husband. What's that guy's name? Brian uh, Danielson. Whatever, man. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. The, the, it's my Amer birthday the, weekend. The American Dragon. I know. Yeah, exactly. That one. Yeah. yeah. So, um. Yeah. But to get serious, once again, yeah, um, all those guys. But you were going to make a point, the Rogues Gallery. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's just that's just in Memphis alone. And so, it, it's 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 one thing that's sorely missing from from the business today. And Leduc, uh, and, and they also knew how to get a guy over quickly. Um, 
you know, mm-hmm. Leduc, I think, you know, is the same way that they introduced the Mongolian Stomper back in 75. You know, he, I think in the Stomper's first appearance at the Coliseum, he destroys, I think, Dennis Condry and one other guy in a handicap match. Just absolutely goes right through him. And that's what Leduc yeah. was doing. They brought him along slowly. They, they did the same thing years later with Bam Bam Bigelow, where he was. Who do you think, who do you think was more scary? In person, Mongolian Stomper or Joe LaDuke? I have to say, probably the Stomper because. Damn uh, right. Yeah, because Damn he, right. He was what? like an animal in person. Yeah. He was big and muscular and mean looking yeah. and tall. Well, yeah, and that, he was and one it, of the meanest. Yeah. During, during those, and I love during the promos where he always had a mouthpiece. Um, yeah. You know, Gordon Storrs Jr. Um, I'm, gosh, I'm, I'm blanking on the African-American talent. Who's one of the best promo guys of all time. The former WWA world champion. Come on, Howard. Bearcat, Bearcat. <laughs> uh, Bearcat Wright. Bearcat Wright. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's so many Bearcats. It's like, yeah, you, know, I was about to you say have to go through a list of Bearcats in your anyway, head. Anyway, but he was, a, he was absolutely incredible. And LeDuc would just stand there. Yeah. And, and with those piercing Stopper. eyes. Oh yeah, and Stomper would just would just stare at you, and it was almost like he he was just piercing through your soul, you know. Uh, oh, definitely, he was. He was. I mean, you know, the Duke was more effective using his voice, and Stomper was more effective not using his voice. And I believe um, Gary Hart represented him down in Florida, and Gary Hart was so evil and slimy, and when he represented somebody that was a real heel like Stomper. Taro Tanaka, Taro Tanaka on his own is not that scary or anything. Uh, I mean, Pac Song couldn't do an interview, but when Gary Hart got behind somebody like that, um, there were the monsters that there were. He got Kabuki over, and Kabuki couldn't get himself over like that, like he was with Gary Hart. Kabuki fell apart when he when he left Gary Hart. Yeah, and I, you know what, Gary Hart, it sort of it sort of reminded because he t- he kind of talked that Chicago street talk. And, mm-hmm. and he was the coolest. Yeah, and Sonny King, you know, some people are not a fan of Sonny King, but I liked his kind of low key. He had great interviews. He yeah. had really great interviews. He would come out sucking the thing, like um, <laughs> sucking the, the Tootsie Roll, like Telly yep. Savalas. He'd go, let me tell you something, baby. I don't remember exactly how he talked, but I know he had a really, like, good yeah. rap. Yeah, but Lala. And, and, and he wouldn't scream. He wouldn't shout mm-hmm. because that's what everybody else was doing. Right. That was mm-hmm. that, that was their thing. And his thing was always kind of the smooth talk. You know, we got it under mm-hmm. everything's under control and you put him with Leduc and then you have Valiant there. I mean, look at these three guys. Nobody yeah. looks like nobody looks like these three guys anywhere. That's the thing. That's the and, thing. It's like, how is it? I mean, you know, in the last couple of years, you're starting to see fat guys and hairy guys again. And like Brian Cage is a monster. He would have been like the next Hulk Hogan or something, if he came around in the eighties and, um, uh, you know, like ZSJ stands out to me. That's a guy that I would have liked as a kid. I would have looked up to him like Les Thornton. Um, but yeah, the thing is do something different because if something gets over, all right, you know, that's not entirely true that they didn't do that in the old days, because remember when all of a sudden a clothesline became a thing and then it became everything, every match, everybody, every territory. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that became a fad. It's just like when WWF was hot in 80 in, in the eighties and the nineties. And then every indie promoter had to try and imitate their style of show. 
which only shot them in the foot because they couldn't compete with them and they looked like a pale imitation. So why try to be them if you can't do it? That's a played out, you know, conversation. Yeah. But the well, point is, stand out. If I was a wrestler today, if I was in my prime, you know, these kids try to stand out and do their own thing on Twitter. And maybe to young eyes, they do stand out. Who's to say they don't stand out? Yeah, to, maybe, maybe. You know, to the children of today, maybe Taylor Bliss and whatever the fuck they're pushing is just as admirable as when I saw Dick Slater and Jack Briscoe. Yeah. You know what I mean? Who's mm-hmm. to say? Well, because it's and- whoever it's whoever's on top when you're 10 years old. So you don't know what's cool. I mean, that's cool to you. I mean, they weren't there. I wasn't there for Luthez. They weren't there for King Curtis. Right. You know right. what I mean? Like Luthez is a dusty old fossil to me. I'm really not fascinated by it. I met him. I'm proud I met him. But I'm more proud that I met the heels like Buddy Rogers or somebody that I could relate to more. But point being, um, it's... You can't remember what it is right now. But anyway... <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm not I'm not uh, Bobby Fulton. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I will I will say I was gonna I was gonna say this earlier. Uh, but when my dad would switch it over, and I would you know I would be upset. I would sort of look at it a little bit, dude. We're talking I was four, or five maybe, um, and I remembered the Stomper. He was the only one that that really caught my eye because he you know they were doing this deal. They were showing a clip from the Mid South Coliseum, which. Back in those days, you know, they had the lights up. It looked incredible. It was packed. Mm-hmm. And the Stomper is throwing around these guys. He keeps beating. He, he defeats two men. He keeps beating on them. Guys from the back come out. He's tossing them around. And I'm just like, <laughs> well, who is this? It's like the Incredible Hulk. And, I, dude, and I've never forgotten that little snippet, that little memory. Uh, that's how in, indelible uh, yeah. these guys were. Because you would see them and you would never forget them. Uh, they mm-hmm. were, they, they were just so memorable and probably one of the most memorable clips that's been shown on Memphis and it's been shown quite a bit is the big spot from, uh, March of 78. I think it was only the second singles bout between Lawler and LaDuke where LaDuke presses Lawler over his head yes. and throat tosses him, attempts mm-hmm. just to, you know, launches him in the air. Lance, Lance's desk is maybe like nine feet away, I guess. Mm-hmm. From the ring, and the plan was it, it, now, and this was a planned spot. And Lawler was supposed to, because Lawler used to take these crazy ass bumps before he broke his leg. Right, and, right. And, and it, he was supposed to land, you know, flat. Uh, and it still would have been a hell of a bump, but unfortunately, Lawler just comes up a little bit short, and and Lawler's right leg catches the corner of the table. And Lawler mm-hmm. said that was the most excruciating pain he's ever felt. Uh, wow. It ended up being like a small break on the leg, but he, and you asked me a lot of stuff. Lawler largely kept working through that. Uh, yeah. So, you know, maybe not a street fighter, but I mean, nevertheless, pretty, pretty damn. No, definitely. I give him total props as a worker and for the bumps that he took and everything, you know, before the break and everything. And then he was still a great worker and everything else. But let me tell you about that one. Um, the first time I went to Memphis in 83, so Pete Letterberg gets me all up to date by showing me like a reel of the classic angles and the Duke throwing Lawler out of the ring like that. I'm like, Oh my God. So the next conversation I had with Lawler, uh, 
the first one I had was when I was the 16-year-old kid asking him about ring entrances in Florida in 82. But this is 83 now. So the first time I was formally introduced to him, um, I said, hey, I just saw that um, video of Joe LaDuke throwing you uh, onto that table. How did you take that? And he goes, I took it. And he laughed. And that was the first thing. That was the first exchange I had with Jerry Lawler ever. Wow. And, and and back in those days, it was almost like a wonderful accident. Okay. Yeah. The, the spot didn't go as planned. I'm legit hurt, but Hey, it's good for the business. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause exactly. It, it's like, I mean, exactly like accidents. I mean, it was just, they flow. It was a flow. It was just part of the river. Like it was just one more piece of the pie that was going into it that week. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and they would the, just use that to fuel the, 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 the personal issues uh, that were yeah. the center of so many different programs where the fans actually, you know, believed in it. You know, they would turn an actual injury. Nobody really ever got upset about it. You know, even like if you look at Hanson and Bruno, I mean, yeah, there was a lot of heat on Hanson when he when he broke Bruno's neck. But, right. hey, you know, let's just we're, we're going to make some money off this. And and Lawler and Ledoux, yeah. they got so much mileage out of that uh, out, mm-hmm. out of that botched spot. They because, played that clip for oh, they're still playing it 50 years later, right? I know, right? I think that's been shown on Memphis TV more than Hogan, uh, more than Lawler's victory over Hogan. Uh, uh, and, and, that's shocking. 81. I will say that's one of those clips that doesn't even lose its bite, you know, because every time you see it, you're like, oh my God. Yeah. And, and you know, another thing too, uh, and you were alluding to this, some of the psychology of something so simple. Uh, earlier this year, there, there was a, a movement going on on Twitter. And it was a hashtag year of the backdrop. And they were trying to get guys to implement the backdrop back into professional wrestling. And, yeah. the, and oh, my um, God, I was just thinking that yeah, I was and, watching. And, some, and, I'm like, oh, my on. God. And immediately, you know, you know you, I mean, no, as a kid, remember when that was a high spot? You were like, oh, my God. Like yeah. you went all the way up there. You almost hit the lights. Yes. And, and, you, it, and I was just thinking like last week, like watching modern wrestling, I'm like, oh, my God, I haven't seen a backdrop in like 25 years. Uh, dude, uh, seriously. And, and Lawler and LeDuc had these exchanges. Right. And this may have been like <laughs> some of the few high spots in the entire bout. But LeDuc just elevates Lawler. This, I mean, mm-hmm. just so high. You know, they had that big speaker contraption that would hang out. I think Lawler almost, his boots almost hit that thing. I mean, just, <laughs> he just, and then he just right. sells it like crazy. And of course, yeah. you have to think in the back of your mind, okay, oh my gosh, Lawler's selling this, you know, well, not selling, but oh my God, LeDuc's hurt Lawler's lower back. Oh shit, the bear hug. He's setting him up <laughs> for the bear. So he just keeps whipping Lawler into the ropes and doing doing the backdrop. And Lawler keeps selling it. And the crowd's just, you know, they're, st- they're starting to stomp their feet over a series of backdrops. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And then Lawler does the reversal. He backdrops LeDuc. And LeDuc, ele- I mean, like he's Ric Flair, does that big elevation. And then he sells it like crazy. And he actually, he lands and then he kicks his feet out. Like he's just knocked out. It's just absolutely <laughs> Unbelievable, and I, and I I you know posted that a year of the backdrop, and Cornette just absolutely loved it, you know, because That's he was hilarious. there he was there taking photos. Cornette has some great shots of Lawler just flying in the air, selling a Leduc backdrop. Huh. Just, uh, and and, he, and the first time I think and I think maybe I mentioned this to you, the first time I saw Bill Dundee do a sunset flip, that was like that was like a shooting star press. That was, that was a hot move back then. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. So- and I remember, I remember, okay. I remember you kids will get a chuckle out of this. 
if anyone below the age of 63 is listening to this, um, I remember during the Dynamite Kid um, Tiger Mask matches where they would tease a um, suplex from inside the ring to outside the ring. And they started to do it like Dynamite was going to suplex Tiger Mask from the apron to the outside. And a part of me inside said, no, that will never happen. That is far too dangerous and crazy. That's it. But look where we are now. It's like, no, but look where we are now. You know, like, I mean, that's tame. A um, suplex onto the floor is like commonplace. And well, in 1982, it was like, oh, my God, he's not going to do that. I've never seen that before. That'll, that'll, that's legitimately crazy. Well, I, I can point to you, – you, you stop and think, okay, could old-school psychology work um, in a new type – in a modern-day gimmick match, let's say? And all you have to do is just point to Lawler and Miz when Miz was WWE champion. And this was the start of that program that, you know, elevated Lawler and gosh, he's in his sixties and he's headlining a WWE mm-hmm. pay-per-view challenging for the title. And there was a consideration of switching the belt and maybe they even should have called an audible because they had a ladder match. Right. Uh, and, I never and, rooted for Lawler. That would have been the greatest thing uh, ever. I never rooted for Lawler. That would have been such a great moment. It, it was, it was yeah. phenomenal. And it, it just goes to show you, there were no, uh, death-defying dives off the ladder. Totally. It was all. But you know what? Okay, but fa- what if it's fairly this? safe? But what, the if, fan, what if but the fans believed in it? What I maybe just maybe that is because Jerry Lawler is, if I may coin a term, the world's most beautiful liar, <laughs> and might I add, one of the last true old-school workers who knows how to suck you in, and make it believable. Yeah. And that's what's missing is the whole mentality because the kids can't get on the Twitter and be what they think a wrestler is or used to be. Maybe that's not what a wrestler is anymore, but I, I, Jerry Jarrett remarked to me, he goes, you know, I kind of wonder had elements of social media been around in the territory days, uh, you know, would it have hurt the business? Probably. He said, but I would have loved to have seen a heel Jerry Lawler in 77 or 79 on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I, he goes, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Oh, I, said, I, said, I said, well, it sort of reminds me of some of the stuff you've been doing with some of these Bruce Pritchard disciples. I said, it's like fish in a barrel, really. Because, he, you know, Jerry, <laughs> Jerry Jarrett was sort of playing the Mr. Jarrett character on Twitter for a while, mm-hmm. uh, which was which was uh, just a, a real delight to see. Uh, but, you know, you, you mentioned uh, you mentioned 79 when LeDuc headed back to Florida. And that was pretty much the end of his Memphis run for a while. He was gone until January of 84. And he mm-hmm. comes back and in his first promo, he's going, he goes, yeah, all these guys around here, Jerry Lawler's still here. <laughs> Dutch man. I remember that one. I'm laughing because yeah. I remember that one. All, I remember that in particular, all these guys around here. Yeah. yeah oh, that's good. He's like, he's like uh, yeah. And, uh, he goes, the fags. I mean, the fabs, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. And he would, like that would be left in today, right? Oh, my Lord. I always kind of wonder what Dave Brown thought about that, like working for WMC TV as the weatherman. But right, right. Yeah. He had to be mortified on a like a like a constant basis. Poor Dave Brown. Well, and and well, yeah, especially in the 90s when it really wasn't drawing any money. I think, you know, it, he yeah, sort- he was like, why am I even doing this? Yeah. And then it comes and then I come along and I'm doing all these inside jokes and stuff. <laughs> 
<laughs> all this smart stuff, and he was not a big fan for a while. I, you know, and even we talk we talk about the Charlotte thing. I thought we got along pretty well then, but no, he had still not forgiven me. It really took. Oh wow. Yeah, it kind of took this last uh, visit to Memphis about a year or so ago for us to to finally uh, make amends, and I was really happy about that because it well, was, that's good. Cause yeah, yeah, it's good. Oh, good people. Yeah, exactly. He's like he's like a. It's like one of your uh, respected teachers getting upset with you, right? Or, right. Or our old neighbor down the street who, uh, yeah. You, who would stop by and have pie every weekend with his buddy Lance. And suddenly there's a disagreement and <laughs> they, they think you're a punk kid and it really hurt for a while, but yeah, uh, yeah, totally. I, I feel you. That's a good analogy. <laughs> but, uh, and so this, this clip is not shown as much, but it's a, definitely a memorable thing. When Lawler and LaDuke have the arm wrestling contest, do you remember that? Oh, stop it. I got to stop you right here. You are like reading my mind. You are inside my head. This is the brief notes that I jotted down. You have hit upon every goddamn thing I wanted to talk about. Okay, go ahead. Because I love this angle. It's one of my favorite. And Lawler's behavior at the end of it is one of my favorite Lawler things that I do to this day. Please. Take the floor. Well, I and I almost and I, I almost didn't enter your head because I thought ah it's gonna be a cover charge. There probably won't be any good looking <laughs> women in there, but <laughs> <laughs> But I'm, but I'm glad I did. Uh, I'm disgusted by most of what I see in there, Howard. But uh, but yeah, so they had, they had the arm wrestling thing. And, and of course, you know, LaDuke's kind of goatee lawler into this. And, and you know, they have the two candles lit on each side. Now, I think it would have been better had the, it had, like, it been the candles well, set been, it up for the people. If for, if set it up for the people who haven't seen it. Okay, like, so... LaDuke comes out and he, and he's talking about how, you know, Lawler is no match for me. I'm stronger than him. Da, 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 da. And he goes, I'm going to, you know, and, and, the, and I guess this was a, a lumber yard thing, right? One of the ways to settle a difference. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you would set up an arm wrestling and there would be these candles on, on both sides and you would arm wrestle and whoever lost obviously would get their arm burned. Now, unfortunately it would have been better had they had these ominous tall candles. With, <laughs> right. You know, you know, something, but they look like two Febreze candles, maybe from Jerry Jones. Yeah, State. yeah. Uh, but they, like, they, they were like, when they were trying to set them up, they were like knocking over and the hard to light or something. It was like, they were so <laughs> rinky dink. But at the time, like as a kid, I'm thinking, well, if your hand hit it, it's still fire. Yeah, exactly. And But anyway, so Lawler comes out and he's got like the, oh my goodness, I think he's got red parachute pants on. Exactly. He came out so Humpty Dumpty looking for that angle. He had this red and white striped shirt on, but like with the sleeves, like the, you know, the Rock and Roll Express at the time that they would sell at like Nine West or whatever the stores were of the day. And I'm like, I thought to myself, you know, Joe Lucas, Joe LaDuke is supposed to be this beast. And here comes Lawler. And I'm thinking like, Lawler has gotten so soft by this point because look how relaxed he is. He's all like rotund in that like 80s outfit. And as a kid, I'm like, man, he looks so untough compared to Joe LaDuke. Joe LaDuke was out there in that baseball jersey style shirt with the green sleeves. Uh, so was yeah. Jimmy Hart out there? Was Jimmy Hart out there goading Lawler into it at the beginning of the interview, or is it just LaDuke? Maybe he just comes out. At the, he definitely comes out after. Okay, okay. Okay, so take yeah. us through it. Okay, so and, and they said that, and, Law, and Lawler says something to the effect that uh, Joe's not strong where it counts, right? And you're thinking maybe that he's alluding to the tremendous heart 
that uh, that he has inside that has uh, propelled him to victory. Uh, and they have their, and, and LeDuc immediately when they lock up and they they do and they grip up for the uh, arm wrestling contest. LeDuc's just cackling like he's just toying on. He's like, ah, what do you think, Lawler? What do you think? And, then, and, right. and, and, and Lawler rarely cracks up. Right. <laughs> I swear to you, he put his head down at one point, and I. LeDuke says something like, he's like, I hope you had your Wheaties this morning or something. He goes, he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know that moment. He catches Lawler off guard and Lawler like Uh, chuckles to himself for a minute. Yeah. yeah, I got to go back and rewatch that one now. That was an all-time classic. It may have been. Um, And then he's like, he's like, burn your head, Lawler. Burn your head. And Lawler just dips his... Flash paper and it throws it at LeDuke and LeDuke goes everywhere, over the desk, everywhere. The bell goes flying. Jimmy Hart comes out and puts a towel on him. Everything's like destroyed in a matter of seconds. And Lawler goes, That's because you're weak upstairs where it counts. Right. And he like exactly. looks to see where and he, and he looks to see where the camera is and he puts his fist in the air, like, Yeah. You know? Well, and he also says fist in the air. Whenever says, I do something, that's like how I put a button on something. If I if I have a really good put down in person <laughs> during one of my public disputes or something, at the end of it, I'm like nailed it. I give it the Jerry Lawler fist at the end. Yeah, there there are some things that you can only say on a wrestling show. Like so, uh, one of, one of my one of my good friends out here in L.A. He saw one of my first clips, and I I said something like Lawler, you haven't heard the last of me. You know, and the phrase you haven't heard the last of me. Is so cool. You don't really get to say that a lot <laughs> in real life. He, and my friend goes, he goes, you know, I've always wanted to say, <laughs> you've heard the last one. <laughs> That's week. funny. You haven't heard the That's last funny. one. Oh, so yeah, that, that was a real joy. So he and destroyed that was, him and he's like, yeah, he, he gives the fist pump. He's like, yep, nailed it. So yeah, that, and, that became like a classic icon to me. And, like that, that. And Memphis and was the, rarely uh, Memphis was rarely slickly produced, but the camera, Kim Barnell, somebody they had to have run through that. You know, uh, there's no doubt in my mind they probably rehearsed that just to make sure that Lawler could do the flash paper into the candle and light yeah. up the Duke. But there's right. a camera cut. There's a brilliant camera cut. Like LeDuc, you know, he finally turns it on. And I think I think the line is, I hope your mama fed you your Wheaties this morning. <laughs> <laughs> and Lawler's about to laugh. And and the camera cuts away. And that must have been so you wouldn't actually see how Lawler did it. Because he must have had to have that big piece of flash paper, dump it in there right. and throw it. And, and the way the, it's beautiful because you just it's mm-hmm. live TV and you don't see how Lawler quite does it because it was always supposed to be a mystery of how Lawler uh, right. threw the fire. And LeDuc, yeah, as you said, the somersaults over the table and Hart and, comes you know, out there and Hart's screaming, gutless wonder. He's a gutless wonder. Oh, that's right. He's a gutless wonder. That's what you are, man. Oh man, just just tremendous stuff. And then they had the, that you know people always ask about Leduc. Did he have a baby face run in Memphis? And he did. He had two, uh, although brief. Uh, and it's also it's, it's kind of a wonder why they didn't get more mileage. Like maybe in sev- at the end of '78, why they didn't go with a Leduc baby face turn? Because I think it I think it could have been huge. And I know he got over in Knoxville as a baby face. He challenged Harley race a couple of times for the NWA world heavyweight title. The fans believed in him. I know he was over like crazy in Florida as a baby face at one time or another. And I just think that they, maybe that was a blown opportunity in Memphis, but, uh, but they did do it in, in 84 where JJ Dillon was in with the Zambuya express. And the deal was that they had won the Southern tag titles 
And this was sort of believable because, you know, we were told that the Southern Tag titles are defended across the South. And that makes sense. So they could take those belts and go back to Florida, which, you know, that that right. made more sense than Nick Bockwinkle when he won the Southern title say that, well, maybe I'll just retire this belt. <laughs> I'm like, wait, a, can you do that? But, you know, yeah, he was the, but, you know he's the world champion, so maybe he could. No, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say that he was the world AWA world champion. So maybe he had that kind of power to, to, uh, to right, uh, right. tie the championship. The only thing I didn't like about that period, that 1984 talent trade between Florida and Memphis, was that the people who I considered boring in Florida were now infecting Memphis, which would be J.J. Dillon and the Zambouis. I was not a big fan of theirs, and I'm like, ah, oh, they're going to have the same crappy matches and boring interviews. No, no, I take that back because Kareem Muhammad was hilarious on interviews in Memphis, in particular when he hosted the Jerry Lawler show. Oh, yeah, I always like Leroy, And I always liked Leroy Brown on his own when he used to wear, like, the color-coordinated onesies and all that, like his California days and his 1980 Florida run, his early Watts stuff, his Georgia stuff. But I, I really didn't like the Zambouis. I considered their work really boring. They always worked on top, so they were featured a lot. But when Kareem hosted the Jerry Lawler show, that was all-time classic TV. That was like Jerry Lawler humor personified. Now, that was that, that was I, great stuff. And and I think Jay Youngblood was on there, and there was a great exchange between those two. Uh, and oh, I think man, that, I, don't, I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah because— You know what would be the best? When Lawler would be like, well, this is our bad guy segment of the week, and it would be like Cornette or Jimmy Hart, and, and they would have to pretend via taped interview, like, you know, they're, they're legally bound to be on the show. <laughs> so Lawler's like, well, looks like I have to put up with you, but contract says it. He's like, that's right, man. I remember like watching a, a clip of that and I was showing my wife and and she the whole wrestling thing just kind of boggles her mind a little bit. And and, and she's like she's like, wait a minute, Jerry Lawler, he had his own show. <laughs> she, just that, she, just, she just thought that was just uh extremely, extremely strange. Uh that a that a local pro I like, wrestler. I like went, how you <laughs> I like how you imitate her as the queen, by the way. Oh yeah, it's Queen Queen's English over here. Let me assure you. <laughs> That's good. That shows that shows good breeding, you know. Well, but so anyway, so so Lawler uh, and LaDuke are forced to join forces because uh, Dylan says that they will not defend the titles against the Fabs or anybody else except Lawler and LaDuke. And it's like he's pulling the strings. And you can say what you want about Dylan. He was over like crazy in Memphis. I mean, he, he was. He, he was. really got over. And, and yeah. I always considered him so boring, and he's a really nice man. And he used to pose for me when I was a kid, and I met him last year at the CAC, and he's a really nice man. But I always found him boring. I liked huh. him as a wrestler. Like, I saw him in the 70s teaming with Roger Kirby and stuff, and I kind of liked him during that period. He had, like, the big sideburns and longer hair. He had a more, like, rugged look. He wasn't really one of my favorites, but he was, like, kind of a mid-card guy. Um, was, was, Roger Roger, Kirby. was Roger Kirby one of, probably one of the best wrestlers who never hit it big? Well, I was a young kid, but he seemed to be very competent. You know, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't judge. I saw him a couple times when I was nine years old, so I can't really – you know, but like, I, but like I mean, Bobby, I, I like, think he should, I think he should have been bigger. He never, you know, he never got. Well, he was a small. He was a smaller guy, right? If, yeah. if memory serves. So I think nobody that wasn't really tall enough, even if you had a good look and you were a good worker. But then again, Ray Stevens wasn't tall. 
Yeah, that's true. So I, maybe I didn't see enough of Roger Kirby. And he was kind of like mid-card tag teams. It was Kirby and Dylan were the big tag team at the time um, when Harley Race was booking. So it was like the Kansas contingent. Yeah, yeah, and uh, gosh, I guess uh, you mentioned Harley. Uh, I guess he's really sick, isn't he? Yeah, how about that? Yeah, and he lived may- such a healthy lifestyle. Nobody <laughs> could foresee such a thing. He took such fine care of himself. Well, never drank and drove, <laughs> not on the water or the land. Never took any risks that I've heard of, and I've he's never a, seen him drink or smoke. Uh, well, he's so a, you know he's it's a, quite he's perplexing. A, he's not a hell of a that a young man would have such a fate befall to him. It, doctors are astounded, quite frankly. All no, right, all in right. all sincerity, in all, all right, I'm on a little roll. It's my birthday. Give me a break, people. I got some good stuff this week. But listen, Harley Race is a bona fide legend. Obviously, one of the toughest of all time, which is what it's going to say under his photo. Every time you see a photo of Harley Race, toughest man in wrestling ever. Now, Greatest did... wrestler on God's green earth. No, but Harley Race is a legend, and I loved him in particular because he moved really slow, and I could take great photos of him, and it's not a diss, but I got so many great photos. An odd thing when you're a photographer is that there's certain workers, and they don't even have to all have the same style, but certain workers, I have way more great photos than, than of other people. And like Barry Windham, Harley Race, certain workers, I just always got great shots of them. And so let me tell you a quick Harley Race story. Remember his run in 1985 against Phil Hickerson? Yeah. He was having great matches. Yeah, Those two tremendous. had great matches. I, I saw him like two weeks in a row because I was in Memphis two weeks in a row during 85. And um, I, somehow, to show that I'm really not a wrestling historian, I had no idea that Harley Race did this spot where they throw him into the turnbuckle and he goes ass over tea kettle over the turnbuckle onto, in this case, me. Because I thought he was just getting whipped into the turnbuckle. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to get close to the turnbuckle. And he flipped right over and landed on top of me. Did you get a good and shot I didn't of it? Know, I, I didn't know he did that spot. I, yeah, I of course. Because usually you, um, you, know, you see it coming and you're like, oh, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be there whatever, but I'm like, oh, he's just going to whip him into the corner. He fell right on top of me. Yeah, they, they did that spot in the Lawler-Harley uh, match, the 60-minute draw from 77. Uh, and I guess, you know, it's one of those things where they kind of loop the fans into staying with the match because it's going so long. And it was about the 40-minute mark. Lawler's getting frustrated, right? So he throws Harley into the turnbuckle with a little bit more force because he, he's desperate to end the match before the time runs out. Harley does the big, the exact bump you're talking about, just goes flying out of the mm-hmm. ring. And he probably did it with much smoother and with a lot more velocity than he did in 85. But he was still pretty. Mm-hmm. He was still pretty smooth in '85. It was clumsy. And, it took and, a while. I felt and, his knee and, going all the way back from the. It was. I felt his knee in slow motion go from the back of my head and neck all the way down my back, and I'm like, "Holy shit! Harley Race is falling on me right now!" Like I literally had enough time to think about it in my head. <laughs> Jesus, because you know when they're coming into the turnbuckle, you're going to back up a little. So I backed up a little thinking he was just going into the turnbuckle because the motion of the ring is going to push you back three inches and you don't want any part of that. So you, you move away from the ring if they're going to throw each other into the turnbuckle. So I was, instead of protecting myself by going closer to the turnbuckle, I was like right in front of where he was going to fall. But the fall was in such slow motion and man, did he look big looking up. I'm like, holy shit, he's coming over that fucking top rope. And I leaned into the, to the turnbuckle 
and he scraped all the way down me. I didn't feel it. He like grazed me, but okay. did you that sell was it? Scary. That was scary. Did you sell it? I didn't even have to because it was so real. I was in shock. I was like, holy shit. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, as I was as I was saying, the in the seventy seven spot when you were not at ringside, uh, you know, the referee uh, it was Eddie Marlin's brother. Uh, it was gonna, it was the slowest counting referee, Thomas Marlin. <laughs> it was the slowest counting referee in history, and they would ring him in for the world title matches, and it was so frustrating because he would kind of grip the mat. He'd hit it, one and grip it, and then two and then grip the mat, and then you know, I guess just to be sure that you weren't gonna get an accidental three count, but. But uh, but man, oh man! But he's he's calling for the he's calling for the bell. He's going to disqualify Lawler for sending him over the top. Lawler's begging, the fans are begging, and he changes his mind, and the match continues. And that way, you hook the fans back in into it and keep them mm-hmm. into it from from the forty minute mark to the sixty minute time limit expires. Uh, just just great stuff. And again, just a little little psychological trick that I think Harley would pull out of the bag around the 35, 40 minute mark if the fan if they felt like they were losing the fans a little bit. Because mm-hmm. uh, and, and believe me, there were not a lot of Lawler matches that went past that thirty-five minute mark. So yeah. it was, yeah, it was a little. Uh, and 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 I'm not knocking him at all because that's fifteen twenty minutes. That's about how long about a Lawler bout should, should last. Mm-hmm. You know, if Bachwinkle were in town, maybe they'd go forty. He and Dundee went about thirty, thirty-five a couple of times, but most of the time, Lawler would start making that comeback around the fifteen minute mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it totally made sense. It, it yeah. made sense in the flow, and it made sense how those were longer matches for Dundee and Bachwinkle. Absolutely. Yeah, because when and when and when it did happen, you knew that that was a true test of Warriors, and that's actually what really got Kerry Von Erich over. Uh, in Memphis when he and Lawler had a had a fantastic 60 minute draw in '88, and that's when you know you and I have talked about Lawler really put the working boots on. And, you know, it really meant a lot. He was working harder than I'd seen him work in years uh, during mm-hmm. that program with Kerry initially. And then I think they just got burned out. Well, Kerry kind of literally burned out a little bit there, uh, if if you smell what I'm cooking. But yeah. uh, but at any rate, in 84, Lawler and LaDuke are the ultimate oddball tag team. LaDuke is still managed by Hart, but they've been thrust together. And Hart is wanting Lawler to really join the first family to rid the area of uh, Dylan and the Zambui and, but Lawler demands that Hart not be at ringside for the bout. So it's a brilliant finish. Hart runs out. He's got a bag of powder. He's tries to hit Lawler in the eyes with the bag of powder. Lawler ducks. It hits one of the Zambuis. Lawler gets the pin and they come out on Saturday and (laughs) everyone talks about Robert Gibson and his first appearance in the, uh, in the parachute pants that were kind of, brown or tan the kind of skin colored it looked like he was naked basically on television lawler comes out there with like it's the first time and i think the only time he ever wore light brown <laughs> but it, it looks like a uh, naked it looks like a naked bodysuit but anyway <laughs> he, he's got you know his uh, southern tag belt leduc's got the other and lawler's trying to convince him he goes he goes he's not our friend he, you know i'm telling you let's let's show the clip <laughs> And Hart has gotten a hold of the film clip, and they edit the part out where he's aiming for Lawler, and all you see is the powder in his eyes. And Leduc's like, "See, see, he's trying to help us." <laughs> I remember that, yeah. And then, and then Hart goes, he goes, "And Joe, you know my musical background. I wrote a song for you, a hit song. <laughs> Let's play it right now." And he plays, he plays, "Bang Your Head." And, oh my God! And they come back, and Leduc's all loving the song, and Lawler goes, "Leduc, 
Joe, you idiot. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, don't you listen to the radio? That's Quiet Riot, man. That's one of the hottest bands oh, in the hottest clubs around. And it's like Lawler trying to be cool, you know. Um, right. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, and, you know, and by the way, and by the way, as a kid, that never worked for me. Like when he would try to reference young stuff like that, I'm like, you know, he just seemed like an adult to me always. Yeah, and coming out to Jump. Oh, which he also did. Right, the jump and the yeah, like the jump video. I'm like, that's a little too. That's a jump too far. That's a yeah. little part. That's a little stretch too far. And he's to got to try the, and make him cool, and because he was trying to be uh, a fab in a way. Well, he's got he's got the vans with the airbrush. Right, oh. sitting, that's the video where he's sitting on the Corvette and stuff. <laughs> yeah, kind of nodding. Yeah, that's right. I'm the king, baby. This is how I And how many, times have I, how, many, how many times have I tried to, doc, to duplicate that photograph? I'm like, here, <laughs> take a picture. Every time there's a fancy car, I sit on the fender and I give, I give the king look with my um, arms crossed across my chest, like looking into the sunset. But it never yeah. comes out as good. You got to give it to the, you got to give it to the king. Yeah, yeah, you're, and you're no, you're no, you're no Jim Cornette, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> he got, a big fender sitter. Well, no, but he got some of the best pictures of Lawler in his heyday, like in casual situations. Lawler wearing a sweater or that jacket with the silver stripe going down the side. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're so classic because it's like there's such a variety of outfits in those photos. It's like whatever he showed up to in the building that night, it's going to get documented. So those are great. Yeah, those those are tremendous. A little slice of of the times, if uh, if you will. So I think we're we'll close this segment. Uh, Not with, yet. Not with, yet. Well, Not hang yet. on. You, uh, what, you can't. Okay. Okay. Wait a minute. What, what what else do you have to say about Julie Duke? I'm sure you're going to guess it. If I I mean if we're we're already 99 out of 100. I'm sure well, you're going to guess. I was going to talk one of about my favorite what... Joe LeDuc peripherally involved cameo involved <laughs> angles. You're talking about the Bill and Buddy show? No, 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 no. Okay. All right. I was I was going to talk about his baby face turn in '86, uh, and then he. No, no, no. This is this is prior to that, so I have to allude to it. <laughs> let's see. Let's see if this rings a bell, Scott Bowden. Okay. Hart comes out and he's all sorry. He's like, "Man, Lance, this is the this is a dark day for the for the uh, first family." And Lance is like, "Well, Jimmy," he's like trying to be nice to him because he can tell something is unseasonably wrong. You know, he's like, he's like, "My tag team, the Bruce Brothers, they're deceased or whatever he said to say they were dead. Like they're no longer with us." So they have the funeral we, we've for lost, the Bruce we, Brothers. We've lost the Bruce Brothers. That was a lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so as part of that, like everybody plays their role to a T. Jimmy Hart, everyone's speaking in hushed tones in the funeral. Old black lady is like, they was good boys, and I'm sure somebody loved them. They was good boys, something like that. And like the limo driver, like classic Memphis black people, you know. And then Joe LaDuke is in the thing. Can we trademark that? (laughs) Joe LaDuke, people know what I mean. From, From, you know. (laughs) <laughs> from back in the day when oh I can't you can't say anything these days so strike whatever you want I'm not going to say anything else but I love everybody and I especially love the black community in Memphis and that's not a joke or a sarcastic remark I literally love everyone I met in Memphis there's a really nice vibe up there I don't know about the last 30 years or so but when I was there everybody was really nice anyway I like the laid back southern hospitality that everyone displayed in particular the black folks that I was fortunate enough to meet during my trips. Anyway, with that in mind, you know, stereotypical black Southern gentleman. And he's like, yeah, there was, there was good boys, all that stuff. 
and then Joe LaDuke steals the entire show, and I almost thought they were dead by the, by, from the way LaDuke sold it. And he goes, did you ever wonder when your time was up? Yes. Go get out of here. And he was like <laughs> dressed in a jacket, so you knew it had to be serious. Yeah. And like, like I'm like, oh my God, maybe something really did happen. Yeah. No, and so, you're right. the, 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 what, what really makes it, it's not only the delivery of the line, but it's the face looks right. It's the eyes. You know, it's like mm-hmm. he's, it's like he's trying to process it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. He was very believable. Exactly. Yeah. Cause yeah. his eyes, exactly. His eyes were going through contortions. Well, yeah. he's, he's like, well, they're really dead. I'm talking words now, you know? Yeah. It's like, how could it be that these two athletes in the prom of their lives, these good Christian <laughs> athletes, how how you know it's, not, it's just it's just not fair and it's it's a rare that, tin, I, it's a rare tender moment from from if, if you could think of a better angle from Memphis, I'd like to hear about it. That, that was, combined like hilarity and so many classic characters in one angle. Yeah, yeah, and Jimmy Hart turning on a dime, you know, from being <laughs> right his last being disgusted with himself yeah. that he was nice to him. He's yeah. like ah. Oh, you know, let, let, you know, and I, I think we're going to start like a the, the disappointed Lance Russell clip of the week and going through some of these Leduc clips. You know, there's the reaction, the aftermath after Leduc cuts yeah, his arm. Yeah, and, Lan- yeah. Lan- and Lance, it goes a close up on Lance and he's at the desk. Dave's not there. Jerry Jarrett's not there. Jerry Jarrett probably would have rushed out and, and stopped it had he been in mm-hmm. the studio. And Lance is going, and he's thinking about like the agreement they made with the station to turn the violence down, <laughs> <laughs> all this stuff. And 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 Lance is he goes, oh, I uh, I can't believe he did that. Mm. Well, he goes, well, that's Lawler's problem. <laughs> uh... Oh, and he, he quickly he quickly turns it back into the angle part, which is Lawler's got to deal with it Monday night. That's his problem. And they yeah, go over yeah. Oh, he's so just pissed off. And then, uh, like, <laughs> and, and Darren, when Hart claims to have written that song, and, Law, and Hart, it's like, no, that's Quiet Riot, man. And they go to a break. <laughs> and Lance, for some reason, he, he, he that pisses him off. He, he gets to the desk and he goes, oh, how do you like that Hart out there acting like he broke that song? <laughs> and he goes, well, I tell you, it's stuff like that that really gets you hot. Or something, <laughs> something along those lines. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And he, oh, I, that's great. He also was not. I gotta fan. go. I gotta go back and rewatch some of that stuff. It's like it's sick how we actually know that from memory, but definitely that is like some of the greatest stuff of all time. Well, and I would, I would be now that you mentioned, it, I would be remiss if I did not mention the 1981 program that it was supposed to be Leduc's house, but it's clearly like some office. <laughs> you know, there's like <laughs> the walls are painted. I, I love their, I love their stage productions. Like they find like any place with a door and a chair, and it's like they call it like whatever. Well, I like Jimmy was, Hart's office. Was that really Jimmy Hart's office? Um, I don't know. There are a lot of pictures up and stuff of him. Yeah, like, yeah, that's what I was so, thinking. But it looked yeah. so rinky dink. And it's like once he was doing a uh, thing, like he was an executive. He's like, I got deals going on, man. And he had this tiny little desk, and he had like five eight by tens on his wall. He's like, and his secretary came in. Remember all that stuff? See, your Jimmy Hart sounds like Mickey Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody told me my Jimmy Hart sounds like Mr. Towley from uh, South Park. I don't know. I think it's, I think it's more Mickey Mouse. But anyway, uh, well, I'm a little high. To, I'm a little high today. Oh, hello. Can we cut that? <laughs> <laughs> I like okay. it. It's a double this is, entendre. This is this is Howard's high spot. Okay. Um, uh, but anyway, that's so the name of my new. That's the name of my new show. That's not bad. 
Just but, smoking and drinking on ringside. But Leduc, you know, when, when he's when he comes back in 84, he says something about, you know, uh, he goes, people think I'm crazy. Do you think I'm crazy, Lance? And Lance goes, without, <laughs> without missing a beat, Lance goes, no comment, Joe. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> which is just brilliant. But the 81 thing is when he's supposed to be in his home and he's like, I got a maid. She can clean up all this. And he, Oh yeah. Oh, 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 I remember it now. That was clearly a set that had like this green Astro turf and like a, a blue wall that moved when you touched it and like a <laughs> plant. And he picked up one of those seventies glass things that had sand in it. Like what did he say? He's yes. like, you think I'm crazy. And he bashed this thing into his head. Yes, and every, oh my every, God. Single, every single gig mark that he had obtained in the past six months opened up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's right. like this, like it looks like a like the highway system of blood of crimson just going down his face, and it's just abs- And he's like, and he just keeps reiterating, "I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy." And his eyes are just going back and forth. It's like he's on LSD. I mean, or, you know, it's just one of the absolute best promos I can recall. And they've shown that so many times over the years. They always go, go, they can always go back to this history. LaDuke is one of those guys who leave the territory, come back, and he would be just as red hot as ever because of his history and the fact that the fans always believed in him. And all you had to do was show that, that highlight reel to get him over to a whole new generation or to or to re get him over because it would be the um, the pull apart tug of war with ten guys on each side that couldn't pull his arms apart, and the stopping the car with his feet. Yes, all the, the feet of the, It would it would be the highlight reel, you oh, know. It'd be like all those sick things he did at the time. You know, the, uh, Memphis, a guy could just get over. You know, you talk about the WWE vignettes. Well, Memphis again was so far ahead of its time. With mm-hmm. I think the first one was in '78. I believe they taped it in either Jonesboro or maybe Tupelo, where they had guys come out of the audience and they would d- do a tug of war. You know, trying to break Ledoux's bear hug grip, and they can't do it. You know, there's like t- I think ten men on each side with a with a rope, mm-hmm. and it's like they're doing the tug of war, trying to pull up, pull apart his arms. They can't do it. And then years later, they did the infamous thing where I think I think maybe it was in Atlanta where Ledoux's pulling the buses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they have a deal too where Jimmy Hart's trying to back up a car and Leduc's stopping it with his legs. Right, and he's the, holding it with his he's yeah. holding it with his feet, like in and a the, squat position. It's just uh, just unbelievable stuff, man. And and the deal in Southeastern that popped the that popped attendance for uh, a period with, with he and the Stomper busting the uh, the cinder blocks over their heads with the with a hmm. sledgehammer. It's absolutely incredible stuff. That just and I, and I don't even think the southeastern thing. I don't think that went according to plan. Didn't it really knock Stomper goofy or knock Leduc silly? One one of the two. Um, I can't remember which. Maybe both of them. There's a, a, a gorgeous George Junior even does it to Stomper, and they must have gone over this several times. And you can actually see the sledgehammer going through the center block and just pounding Stomper's head. Oh. And it look and it just tells Stomper's like, oh shit. Get it together, get it together, and he's pulling Man. himself up. I mean, he is seriously knocked goofy. Uh, huh. but again, man, it's just a, it's a bygone era. And the Duke is one of those guys who, if you talk to a Memphis wrestling fan or even a casual Memphis wrestling fan, everyone remembers Joe LaDuke. You know, oh, yeah. this guy's making an indel- like I said, the same thing with the Stomper, these guys make an indelible impression, they're larger than life, and it's just. Uh, pardon the pun, a wonderful slice of Memphis wrestling. Uh, 
Well, Howard, uh, enjoy. That's why he's the man. <laughs> <laughs> and Legitimate came back in 94 uh, or 95 and this is like around the time that I was there and they did like a reunion show in Louisville and he came back and he was he still looked really good he was still taking these great bumps and he and Lawler had one last little go around and I was like god man I, I, I would have cut off my right arm right to be a part of that uh, but unfortunately that's when I was on hiatus uh, I'll be coming yeah. up later later but man, I would have loved. I did. I was in a cage match with Kamala, and I survived that. Huh. But it, it's not quite the same. Uh, I would definitely, definitely, but it would have been living the dream to have been savaged, ravaged, and pummeled by the Canadian lumberjack Joe LaDuke. No doubt. Uh, miss the big lug. Well, Howard, thank you for joining us. Uh, I, I wish you well as the birthday festival continues there in Florida. Uh, Fingers crossed. <laughs> I imagine all the drink tickets are sold uh, at this Thoughts point. Thoughts and prayers, please. Thoughts and prayers. Oh, my goodness. We'll be, <laughs> we'll be right back with more KFR and no Howard right after this. Do, do, do. Uh, was interested in getting... Some new fabs. I talked to Jack last night, as a matter of fact. I hadn't talked to him in a while. I talked to him last night. He told me that he's got pretty good idea on one of them, and he's got a hot prospect for the other, and the uh, new fabulous ones will be long. And what's on your mind today, Mr. Hart? Well, let me just say this. If you think losing the fabs is bad news to their fans, I've got some real bad news for you today. And bad news. What I would like you to do, I would ask you if you could ask the people if they would just hold it down just for a moment, if you would do that for me. Hey, come on, Jimmy. Just, no. you know, let's get it on. I've heard all the things, everything in the world. Well, I, I know you have, but I'm just going to tell you right now, though, it's just right here. It's been some tragic news to happen to the family this week, and uh, I know you haven't heard about it yet. I know the fans haven't heard about this yet, but uh, I've lost the Bruce Brothers this week. They they passed away, and that's uh, the news I wanted to bring to you. Hey, and, what? Uh, you heard me. What I said was the the I don't have the 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 Bruce Brothers with me anymore, and... And I, and I brought a piece of film out here. The that, Bruce uh, Brothers have left the family, is that what you're no, saying? No, what I'm saying is the Bruce Brothers have passed away. They're dead. They're not with me anymore, is what I'm saying. And I've got, and I just wish the fans, if y'all could just hold it down and just for one moment, just have a little silence. And, and I brought some footage here uh, because I, I know they haven't had a chance on the news to hear it yet. I know you haven't had a chance either to hear it, but I did bring no. some footage and I'd just like for you to watch it if you would and, and just have a a couple of moments of respect for them. The wrestling world today is again in a state of shock as Porkchop Cash and Troy Dream Machine Graham, who wrestled together as the Bruise Brothers, suddenly passed away. Many of the fellow members of wrestling's first family, along with Jimmy Hart and family members, arrived for a private service still in total disbelief. All I can say, man, is the Bruise Brothers are probably one of the greatest teams I've ever had in my whole life. And it's going to be very, very hard to replace those guys. Cash and Graham, who had teamed together for only a year, yet held one of the most impressive records in professional wrestling, were former Southern Tag Champions in line for a world title shot. The respect they had gained from fellow professional wrestlers is demonstrated by fellow family member Joe LaDuke. You know, they were good wrestlers. They were champion material. Did you ever wonder when your turn was coming? No good out of here. 
But the fans who we talked to were not in total agreement about the Bruce Brothers. They were good rifles. I didn't really like them that much, but it's a shame this had to happen to them. Victory Funeral Home is honored to have had the boys here. They were good boys. Troy Graham and Porkchop Cash, the backbone of the first family professional wrestling, although together for a short time, left their mark on the Mid-South area and around the world. The Bruise Brothers, gone but not forgotten. Well, I am shocked, Jimmy. I uh, hadn't heard uh, anything about it, as a matter of fact. And uh, well, well, what I want to say is this, that but you see, by, behind every dark cloud, there is a silver lining, and that uh, it's tragic news for that, but that's the bad news. The good news is this. You know, I've been on a talent hunt myself, and baby, today is the greatest day of my life because I have found, I have searched the world over, and I have found the new fabulous ones. Baby, crank that music up. Woo! Come in here, baby, crank the music up upstairs. Are you asleep? Just... Evidently, they are asleep. Come on, these are the new fabulous ones, baby, right now. I've looked high and low, and I've found them right now. Come on out, baby. Woo! Jimmy, you've pulled a lot of things, but this has got to be one of the lowest things I've ever believed. Let me tell you and we want to thank our special guest Howard Baum for providing that cutting insight into what made Joe LaDuke such a memorable performer in the Memphis Territory and in the Sunshine State. People ask me all the time, how can we support the show? Well, that's easy. Just visit MemphisWrestlingTees.com, where you can find a number of t-shirts featuring the Fabs, Jerry the King Lawler, and yes, even a brand new one designed by Travis Heckle. Yes, that's right. We're spotlighting the first family that includes Joe LaDuke. This week on sale at MemphisWrestlingTees.com. Just a reminder that Kentucky Fried Wrestling is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. You can follow me on Twitter at Trav Scott Bowden. You can follow Brian at Great Brian Last. For Brian Last, this is Scott Bowden. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye, everybody. The announcers on this program are selected and paid by parties other than this station, namely the promoters of Championship Wrestling.